Today is the first uh, Sunday of this series that we're calling Get Useful. And um, it really is based actually in, in something that I mentioned last week when we said goodbye to, to 2017 and said hello to 2018. I, I had a couple phrases that I shared with you guys that have been really influential and really helpful for me in my spiritual journey. And they're very much related to each other. The first one was the, the phrase that salvation is a life. And what I meant by that and what I do mean by that is that salvation for me is not something that I kind of wait around to experience when I die. And it's not something that I just kind of reserve for Sunday or for growth group time or for special spiritual time. Like salvation for me has to have a uh, implication for the way I live my life every day, every moment of every day. So whatever I believe about God, really has to play itself out in my day-to-day mundane life. Salvation is a life. And, and, and the second thing is very much uh, related to it, and that is I believe that I was saved for mission. And I believe that all of God's people are saved for mission. God does not bring us uh, into his kingdom, and, it goes, and this goes all the way back to the beginning part of his story, We're not brought into God's kingdom to get like a recliner and an easy chair and to kind of sit around until we kick the bucket and cross over. God's story is the story of like, when I bring you into the kingdom, I bring you in to be uh, some of the biblical metaphors or a light light to the world, you know, salt, some kind of beacon, some some kind of symbol of what God is up to in the world. And so what we wanted to do over the next few weeks is to take a look at some areas in our lives or some areas in my life where I sometimes get hung up or get gummed up where I'm trying to make my life missional or where I'm trying to make like salvation have real world impact. There seems to be areas of my life and a lot of other human beings um, that just are areas of struggle. And they tend to be the same areas over and over again. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at uh, the areas of, of money and time and technology and how they influence and impact our salvation life. And we're also going to take a look at our biases, the way we view other people in our culture and how that impacts our salvation, how it impacts our ability to be what we call missional in the world. And then we're also going to look at uh, how we make our mind behave so that we can be more useful. We have, a lot of us have tapes in our minds. We have things that aren't so helpful that play out uh, mentally that sometimes can impact the way we live our life. So I'm like super excited about this because this is about as pragmatic and practical as things can get. So what I'm going to do is read this uh, scripture one more time and then kind of Uh, talk about what I believe Paul's getting at and then use that as a springboard to uh, talk about specifically uh, money. So um, here we go. It's going to be one of those Sundays. We're going to talk about money. So everybody kind of, okay. Um, So uh, a guy named Paul, early church leader, writes this. uh, In a mansion, uh, there aren't just gold and silver bowls, but also some bowls that are made of wood and clay. Some are meant for special uses and some for garbage. So if anyone washes filth off themselves, they will be set apart as a special bowl. Maybe uh, you can look, to, look at somebody here and say, hey, you're a special bowl. Um, 
They will be, I, you didn't really have to do that, but they will be useful to the owner of the mansion for every sort of good work. So Paul's using this metaphor, the owner of the mansion is God. And, and, he, and he lays out this really, really cool metaphor of, of vessels, some translations call it, and, and my translation calls it uh, a bowl. And um, I just kind of brought some, some bowls. I raided my cupboard this morning. Sometimes I do this on Sunday mornings, like I just kind of go through the kitchen and take a bunch of stuff and I have to like send a text message to my wife saying like, hey, I took all the bowls out of the kitchen, just so you know. Um, these are some bowls from, from my house and Paul basically lays out this image of that, look, when you are saved for mission and when you're a part of God's kingdom, the, the idea that is that you are a receptacle that holds like the gospel the message of God's love and plan for the world. And Paul's like, look, if you get this right, you, you are carrying around God's message in the world. And so he says, look, uh, there are some vessels in a, in a big house that are uh, used for not great things. In fact, like when he says the, the things for garbage, like it's actually the images, like uh, there's things that we use that are called toilet bowls right? That's a vessel, okay? But Paul's like, don't be like that. Like, get yourself straight because what you want to be is a vessel that's appropriate, like, for sharing and for holding this gospel message. Now, like, another way to think about this is, so, you know, this is a, a paint bucket, and it is, uh, it holds everything inside. It is a really great vessel, right? Unless you came to my dinner table and I had it full of like mashed potatoes and I was like, here, have some mashed potatoes, <laughs> right? Like there's an idea that if you were to sit down at my dining room table, I, I should have something that is a little bit more appropriate and special and, and unique because of who you are and, and what that thing is holding. And so Paul sets out the idea and we're just gonna play with this metaphor for a few weeks of like, what does it take to be like a vessel that is worthy of holding, containing the gospel, the message of God's redemptive plan. And so um, the way I was thinking about this is we all have tools in our lives, um, and those tools are what we just named, but the tools of money, the instruments of time, the instruments of the way we use our mind, all of those tools I want to suggest to you affect our ability to be a good receptacle and container for the gospel. The way we arrange our lives, how we view these really critical uh, tools in our lives, they affect our ability to be a really healthy, solid receptacle for the gospel image. And so... Uh, to, to set up the actual idea of, of time and to drill down into this a little bit, I want to tell you uh, a story because uh, there's a really critical concept that we have to get right when we start talking about these areas of our lives. And, and I want to start, about, start it out uh, by talking to the, about the idea that um, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania, um, and we had animals when I grew up. You know, we kind of lived... We are, it was a steel town, but we lived out in the country, and we had animals. And I don't know if, if anybody's ever lived this, like, both sides. Like, uh, there's a difference between having animals in the country 
and having animals like in the suburbs. Anybody ever been there, right? So we had a dog, and we had a collie, and uh, our collie had a, had a dog house, and, and we fed that collie every day. It, it, its name was Lassie, whatever, you know, we weren't all that creative. But you know what? But you know what Lassie did? Lassie just ran around all day. That's what she did. She didn't spend time chained up. She lived out in the country. She just did what dogs did. She ran around. She got into stuff, but no big deal. I kept her healthy, um, and that's what she did. Um, we moved from Pennsylvania to Texas, and when we did, we moved from the country to the suburbs. And uh, at some point, um, we, Lassie had gone to be with other dogs in heaven, um, and uh, we decided at some point we were going to get another dog. And so uh, my, my parents actually said, yeah, you know what, let's get a, my dad brought home a golden retriever, um, which they're great dogs, right? Except um, a suburban gold, golden retriever is not the same thing as like a country golden retriever. Uh, what I learned in retrospect is like golden retrievers like need two to three hours of play a day, you know, to feel content. Right, And so uh, our golden retriever did not get that because I was just a, a narcissistic, self-centered teenager at the time. And so I didn't take care of the dog, right? And, and if you guys have ever been there, like when you, don't, when you don't care for a dog and when you don't give the dog what the dog needs to kind of feel like they're loved and appreciated, guess what? They're going to get a little bit destructive and they're not going to be very happy. And, and what this set up for me is this idea of like, all right, well, you know, we had this dog and for a long time I was like, I don't want another pet. I don't want another pet because it just didn't go well. But then a few years ago, uh, this little guy came into our life here in, in uh, Florida. So if you know, like this is our dog Merlin. And we've had Merlin for a few years. And, uh, um, and um, we got him and we brought him home. And we were able to kind of have a, a night and day experience between what I experienced with my, my dog, my golden retriever back in Texas, and this, and the critical difference was, guess what? It was this, it was training. It was training. You see, dogs will behave. You see, I, I went through this phase of like, oh man, a dog's just gonna do what a dog's gonna do, and maybe you've had a dog that you didn't train and you'd come home, and how many legs of the couch, how many couch legs did your dog chew up? You know, Merlin's chewed like two things ever. And they were like in the first week that we had them because we trained them. And pretty soon we, I, I changed my thinking that like, look, you know, if you're not a, a, a country animal person, the only thing you have to do is train your dog. And then you can make that dog behave because that dog wants to behave. He wants to be happy, but you got to train him. And that is the way I look at our lives. You see, a lot of us have areas of our lives that just run around and they're just out of control and they just do whatever it is they do. And we've never paused to actually say, wait a minute, maybe I should be telling this area of my life how to behave. Maybe I should train this part of my life in behavior rather than just letting this thing destroy my life over and over again. And uh, money is a big one. Like, we're just jumping right into it. And so we're going to look at the idea of how do you make money behave instead of just letting money run amok and letting money do whatever it is that money wants to do. 
and let money like rip the filling out of your couch pillows. Again, whatever money does when you don't pay attention to it, how do you just make it behave? How do you get some training? And so, uh, and we're going to do this for, for every week. Uh, this is kind of the phrase, making whatever it is behave. And to kind of drive this home, because we're talking about dogs and animals, anybody know who this is? It's Clifford the Big Red Dog. Like this, both, uh, both of my kids uh, had this. Uh, so this is Clifford the Money Dog this week. And we're going to talk about how we make Clifford behave. Because if we don't, when we go out to run our errands, guess what Clifford's going to do? He's going to destroy stuff. And money is no different. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that? Money will destroy your life. And before we go into this, before, this, uh, before we go too far further into this, I want to just kind of uh, connect this to a biblical concept that for me is, is really critical. Um, really early in the story of God, and actually in Genesis 1 and 2, there's a concept that God introduces to humanity, and it is the concept of dominion, all right? God creates human beings, and he says, look, I've given you dominion over this earth. It is the ability to have authority. It is the ability to essentially rule. Now, ruling and dominion can get kind of junked up the way we see it expressed uh, in in the world today. So I also like the world of self-control. God has given us, in his spirit, uh, the ability to cultivate dominion and self-control, which means that in all these areas of our lives, we have the ability to exert authority over it. We are meant to have dominion over our money, not to let the money have dominion over us. And the same thing with all these other tools. So dominion and self-control and Clifford the money dog. How do we make this thing behave? And I, I think that I don't need to tell you what happens if you don't. Some of us are living that reality right now. Some of us have lived it recently. But the idea of like when you don't want to answer the phone because it might be that creditor. Anybody ever been there? You know, When you don't want to answer the mail or even go to the mailbox because of the second notice, the third notice. Have you ever ducked a landlord? Right? Like this stuff will mess your life up if you do not learn to make money behave. So I want to introduce to you guys as as we talk uh, the first like two simple axioms to getting the basics of this right. And there are really just two rules that you need to start with, that to make money behave, it's just a matter of uh, what amounts of your money go into what bucket of your life, and in what order do they go in? So it all starts right there. What amounts go where, and in what order? Now, let me uh, show you uh, the basic buckets of our lives, according to Eric, and um, We have basically three. So you have uh, a savings bucket of your life, okay? You have a God bucket of your life, especially if you're a person of faith, or you might just call it a giving bucket if if you're on a faith journey. And you have a lifestyle bucket. 
You have the things that you like to do, that you want to do, that you enjoy doing. These are the three big buckets of our lives. Now, if you've never sat down and unpacked like, okay, well, what is, how do I get a plan for this stuff? If you just look at the, the culture that we, we exist in, uh, this is not going to set you up to win. Can I just say that? So let me tell you, according to uh, American culture, I love American culture. I'm a part of it. Um, but let me tell you what they will, how they will guide you into this. Remember what I said of two axioms. What amounts go where and in what order? Well, according to uh, American culture, the first bucket you fill up is the lifestyle bucket. And you know what goes in there? 130%. And this is not me being funny or being math uh, deficient. Why is this possible? Because of something called credit cards. So 130% of our take-home pay in American culture goes into the lifestyle bucket. This is what I want to do. This is what I enjoy doing. Uh, typically, the next bucket uh, is some savings, right at about to the tune of about 4 to 5%. So we throw some in to the savings account or an IRA or something. Sorry, thank you. I can't see those from here, so. And then if anything's left over for about the last 15 years, God gets about 2 to 3%. That's the way our culture will, will tell you to make your money behave. Lifestyle first, savings a little bit later, and then if anything's left over, give some to God or be generous. And I hope that I don't have to unpack to say, I mean, I think just this fact alone will tell you that this is not the road to financial peace. Because you gotta pay that back. So, when you get this wrong, um, like I said, the, the effects can be devastating. I had a friend of mine back when I was in my mid to late 20s Met him, uh, he was about the same age. He graduated from the University of Michigan, did very, very well uh, in, in school, had a great job. Unfortunately, he also cultivated about $100,000 in debt almost immediately. Not a mortgage. $100,000 combined student loans and consumer debt. That was his reality. And, uh, you know, for some really hard work, he was a super disciplined guy. He flipped that over, chipped away at that, and gradually kind of got right, got his finances right, was able to move forward in freedom. I think the, the first thing that I wanna, want, want you guys to understand is that if this is where you're at, you have to know that change is possible. All right, my friend, uh, he started with a $100,000 mountain by the time he was like 25, and he was able to change that. Um, we have some friends right now that live uh, just over in Pensacola. They're hammering at their mountain of debt right now. They've got two kids, and they've just decided, look, I don't want to live this way anymore, and they just started changing the way they did money, and they're almost there. I've, I've known some people on the, on the kind of the other end of the scale. I've known some people uh, in this congregation, in this community, who in their 20s, uh, while they were still like unmarried, they said, you know what? I'm going to get 
myself right with money before I get married so that when I walk into a relationship, I'm going to walk in debt-free and with the, the disciplines and the structure. And I was like blown away because um, you need to understand that this was, that was not my story. I came in uh, through my 20s and, and, and Shana came in as well and we got married with debt and we had it for a while and it just kept us from doing so much. It kept us from being the vessel that we wanted to be. Why? Because, well, some of the times you're just too stressed out. You're just too stressed out. You have anxiety about like, oh my gosh, when is that phone call gonna come? Or maybe you've just spent so much on your lifestyle that whenever a need comes up at the church, you want to give, but you're like, ah, I spent it already. I spent it already. So Shana and I got, uh, we had our wake up call about 10 years ago. And a lot of you guys don't know our story, but but we moved here and uh, we were in debt we had never owned a home. We had two kids. We had never owned a home. And, you know, for us of a little bit older generation, man, the home ownership thing was a big deal. You know, I brought it up to say, like, you get a home. Like, that's what you need to do. That, be, that means you're a provider. And I'm sitting there going, like, I can't provide for my family because I can't. I can't. And we got here, and we, and we decided to get super focused on it. And for about three or four years, we just chipped away at that mountain. And finally, we, we bought a home like seven years ago, a lot later than people that I grew up with. And I'm speaking to some of you guys right now because some of you guys carry that, that, that stress and that guilt of like, man, I wish, wish I owned a home, but I can't afford it yet. You can if you get this right. It's not easy, but you can do it. And so we finally, we finally kind of... Uh, kind of ascended that mountain and, and, and destroyed it and got free of debt. So where does this start? If, if change is possible, and if it's really just these buckets, um, how do you do it? And I want to tell you that, like, there is some just solid wisdom that comes out of the Bible that will show you, like, how to start making the money dog behave. All right, so I'm just going to walk it through. And it really just comes back to those same axioms. What goes in what bucket and in what order? So this is uh, the way it's put in the Bible. Um, here's the deal. You fill the God bucket first. You fill the God bucket first. You don't do lifestyle first. You do God first. And here is why. Um, um, It really comes down to uh, the first commandment. Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments? These ten guidelines for living, they're found in the book of Exodus. And let me just kind of read read the first commandment. Uh, Then God spoke all of these words in Exodus 20. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he just says this, you must have no other gods before me. God just says, look, I'm first. I'm first. But listen to this. This is the part that I think sometimes we miss. Look at the way he starts this. You see, this happens after God has already set his people free from slavery. God doesn't say, give to me first. Oh, and when you've given enough, then then I'll unlock the key to your slavery. God's already done that. So he says, just think about me and who I am and what I've done. 
and then don't have anything else before me. We give to God first because he just says, look, if you put something before me, that's just not, it's going to make your life go sideways. And furthermore, I'd also put it this way. We give to God first because we're always first in God's mind. God gives us his best. And so therefore, we just start and we say, first, God. Now, in the Bible, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a threshold and a rule for giving that, that deals with the amounts. And the amount is simply this. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, the First Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, there's something called a tithe. Basically, it's translated 10%. So for the God bucket, it goes first, and 10% is the threshold of giving. And so with your finances, you give to God first, and it's 10%. All right? There's a couple other things that are related to that. Uh, like we said, it's first fruits based on the first command, commandments, based on how God views us. For people of faith, this goes to your home church first. If you call E3 home, uh, the way I believe that God has set up the Bible, the church is to be the main recipient of your first fruits. If this is not your home church, by all means, your, first church, your church should get your first fruits. Now, some of us, I, I know you guys, and I know what 10% might do to your budget. You'd be like, well, 10% means no electricity. All right, look, God is a God of grace. It is a threshold. You might only be able to do 2%, but can you do 2%? And can, then can you say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna do 2% now. And then in six months or maybe a year or maybe more, I'm gonna do 3%. And then I'll do four. And then I'll do five. And as soon as I can, I will get to that 10%. God is not gonna like squash you or be angry at you if you can't do the 10% now. But can you build towards it? Because look at this. The New Testament, by the time the New Testament rolls around, God's people have blown past the tithe. And the model in the New Testament after Jesus is radical generosity. So can you reach the 10% and then can you go, well, I'm gonna give 11% next year or 12 or 13 or 14 or 15. Uh, I've heard a story of a pastor who he does the reverse tithe. He lives off a of 10 and gives 90. And I would love that for my life. I'm not there yet. But God First, God first. Then, second, uh, the second bucket that you address to get this thing right is yourself. Yourself. A lot of us don't have savings account. We haven't started to save. And guess what? That is just neglecting to pay yourself. So the simple thought is like, look, when you get paid, after like that person has paid you, pay yourself again and just put something into savings and look at it I'm just taking care of myself for the future. A lot of us live paycheck to paycheck. I did for years. And what I came to realize is that I am one car wreck, one car repair, one health bill away from disaster. And you don't have to live that way. You don't. It takes discipline. It takes effort. 
And so you pay yourself. And, and when I grew up, it was, a, it was 10%. Uh, I think based on like where we are right now, economically, 15 is probably a better guideline. Give God the threshold of 10. Pay yourself 15 or as soon as you can. And look, um, I can tell you, in a couple weeks, you're going to get my rant on technology. I'm going to beat up on technology for a while. But let me tell you, technology can be a powerful tool in this area of your life. Because if you do electronic banking, you know what you can do? You can just say, electronic bank person, put 15% of whatever comes in into a savings account. And I never see it. You can set up giving here at E3 to say, I'm gonna set up this many dollars, 10% or whatever it is you can give. Every time I get paid, so I never even see it, it just goes straight into E3's budget. And I don't know about you, but when I never see the money, I tend to do a lot better with not spending it. Because look, I'm gonna tell you guys, I, I struggle with this area of my life. I like things. And I like to do things. And music equipment is expensive. But when I never see the money and it just goes into the savings and it just goes to the church and then I look and I say, okay, this is what I got left. All right. Technology can work for you. The flip side of that is look, I wanna, I wanna make it clear. I've said this before. We tend to look sometimes at this is like, well, this, this is all practical stuff. Eric, get to the spiritual stuff. No, no, no. Salvation is a life. And how you deal with your money says something about how you, how you view God and how you view your life. This is, this is extremely sacred and profound and spiritual. You can make writing your tithe check an act of worship with your family. Kids, come here and sit down. We're going to write our check. And let's thank God. Let's say a prayer of gratitude as we, as we write it. God, thank you for these resources. God, may you bless somebody through these resources. You could do that with your savings. These are spiritual acts of worship. So, what do you do with this? Well, here's the way I would say it. Uh, this is the rest percent. Whatever's left over after you've given to God and after you've paid yourself, you put it in that bucket and you know what you do? You enjoy it. You enjoy it because God has given you good things. Now, yes, there's a but up there. You enjoy it, but salvation is a what? Life. So how you spend even your lifestyle money says something about your spiritual reality. Not just your Sunday school self, but who you are really. So I'm going to give you guys, just in the last couple minutes, just a couple ways that I view this bucket now, all right? First thing I would say is um, broad categories. I look at this in terms of like there are tools and artifacts, what I call tools and artifacts, things you can touch, you know, guitars, uh, TVs, couches, homes, boats, and things that you experience, just broadly speaking. Those are the things that we spend our money on, things that you can touch and things that you just go experience, like, like a, a meal out or a vacation. 
those things really fall into two categories for me, mission and restoration. I was saved for mission. I have a purpose. God wants to use me, right? Have I spent dollars on guitars? Oh, yeah. But for a long time, that was my mission in the kingdom, to create experiences of wonder and awe through music. So a guitar that I brought home was not just a guitar to me. It was a, it was a missional tool. Other artifacts, you can use your home for mission. A dining room table where you welcome people into your home and sit down and have a meal. That can be a profoundly important artifact. Experiences, taking people out to dinner. But the other part of this mission thing is a restoration piece. Look, you see like a, a vessel that just uses, gets used all the time. You know, it can get knocked up. Don't worry, Shane, I'm not gonna break your bowl. But it can get just like battered around and hit on and knocked up and it can get chipped and sometimes you can give it a hole in it and then all of a sudden you're not the vessel for the gospel message that you were. Well, you know what you need to do? You need to be restored. So sometimes these lifestyle things are just meant to breathe life back into us. To, to restore our, our, who we are as vessels. And so like when I go on vacation uh, every summer, we go to North Carolina, that is restoration time. And I'm thankful to God for it. Because I just sit and I unplug and I soak in the beach. I love the beach. And I soak in my family. Restorate, restoration and mission. Now, there's two quotes uh, that, that, that sum these things up for me and I think drive it all home. Um, look, um, don't, don't buy anything you can't share. Just don't. You can share a meal. You can share a couch. You can share a living room. You can share a car. Don't have anything that you're just like, no, 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 no. This is, this one's, this is mine. You see, like, for me, I, I, I'm still coming to realize that, that like, God owns it all. I, I just take it and move it around a little bit. Now, look, if you ask me for one of my guitars, uh, there is some trust involved and there's some wisdom. And I might, like, I don't know, I might, like, watch over you the whole time. But look, my stuff is available for mission. Share it. Share it. Don't buy anything you can't share. And then I love this quote. Um, I ran across this years ago. Thank you so much. Um, I ran across this quote years ago from a guy named William Morris, who was a craftsman, English craftsman, about 100 years ago. He says, I love this, have nothing in your home that you don't know is useful or don't believe to be beautiful. You see, we live in a culture that acquires. Anybody? You just got stuff. You got stuff. You don't even know where the stuff came from. And sometimes I need to pause and I need to look at all the stuff I have and I said, do I still need this? Because it's not useful to me anymore. So why do I have it? For me, it's books. You know, I buy a lot of books because I study. So every once in a while, I'll just go, and I'm like, you know what? I no longer need this book. And a lot of times, I bring it up here to the office, and there's other staff people. And I go, guys, free books. Just take them. They're not useful to me anymore, but they're going to be useful to somebody else. They're not useful anymore. And beauty, 
Beauty is how I get restored. And please understand me that beauty is not a matter of dollars and cents. Beauty for me may not be beauty for you and vice versa. But I look around my house and I have items behind my desk at home that just, I find them to be beautiful. And when I look at them, I'm reminded of God's goodness. Have nothing, and and anything beyond that, I just kind of go, do I really need that in my home? Or is it just a matter of this lifestyle bucket that is really like, let's face it, it's empty. There's a bottomless pit in here if we don't watch it. Whatever we pour in just goes. But if I look and I go, you know what? It's not useful to me anymore. I should make it useful to somebody else. It's not beautiful. It doesn't bring me peace. Do I need this in my house? Those two questions help me a lot. Now, I can see by some of your faces um, that you're in this place and that mountain is staring at you. And hope does not feel very real right now. And I have been where you are. Felt like I could not get out from under it. Felt like I could not get over it, couldn't get around it. I've been there. It is a reality that I have walked. And you can change. It's not easy, but it's still pretty simple. Uh, Last week we announced this thing called Financial Peace University. It's run by a guy named Dave Ramsey. Look, uh, if you struggle with this making your money dog behave, and you want to get really, really even more practical than what I've gotten right now, uh, we're hosting it. Nine weeks, starting Wednesday, and it will change your life. It gives you every tool except more money. It gives you every tool that you need to make this work. And you can sign up, my E3. It's on the calendar of my E3. There's a little icon in the top right-hand corner. Click on it. It'll guide you through finding how to do that. And if you don't know what it is, um, take a couple minutes and just watch this video, and it'll give you a taste. So let's go ahead and roll that. Financial peace. We all want it. For a while, I didn't have it. 20 years ago, I hit rock bottom. I lost just about everything. I turned to God for help, and I learned how to handle money His way. As you can imagine, it worked. That's why I started Financial Peace University, because God's ways work. Whether you're in over your head or you're doing okay right now, if you bring home $10,000 or $10 million, if you're 21 or 61, we all need a plan. Millions of people have been through Financial Peace University. They have success stories of their own. They've learned how to get rid of debt, prepare for generations to come, and give like crazy. Your success story, your financial peace is up to you. Now is your time. It's time to take control of your money. It's time to get ready for what God has for you. It's time for financial peace. So one last thought before I turn you guys loose. Um, On Christmas Eve, I threw out this idea that I think God is the most joyful entity in the universe. Um, And largely, I I, I suggested that it's because 
God gives. It is his nature to give. And um, neuroscience and all these interesting uh, studies have shown that our quality of life actually increases and our joy increases when we give. When we become selfish and self-centered, actually, we, we tend to feel worse about life and about things. And so for me, this is actually really, really important because some of us, like, we want something better out of life, but this money thing has got us hung up in ways that we don't even realize because if we were freed up to be more generous, that generosity translates to joy in our life. And we can actually feel better and more hope, but it starts with getting this right, and you can do it. You can do it. Let's stand up for closing prayer.